0: Welcome to Monk's Take. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Monk's Take, the St. Joseph's College Athletics podcast. Today, we are visited by baseball head coach Will Sanborn, and we're going to talk about one of his passions, which is recruiting. Uh, Coach Sanborn, thanks for joining us today.
1: Thanks, Corey.
0: Absolutely. So recruiting, obviously, is a lifeblood of any athletic program and you've had a lot of success with it you know the history of recruiting at st Joseph's college is an interesting one a small school in maine you know division three program but a lot of success Uh, let's jump right into it like talk about uh your connection to recruiting and the the history of of how that's developed here at st joe's
1: sure well it really goes back a long ways i mean i've been here coaching for 30 years but then i was also here as a student athlete and i was really fortunate enough to be here um when uh, Coach Jim Graffham uh, coached us in the baseball program, and he was an outstanding recruiter. You know, had great energy for it, a lot of passion, um, a lot of drive, um, and a really hard worker. Who I saw, you know, kind of build the program in my time here, with a lot of local guys, uh, very talented local players, uh, and then Rick Simons, of course, was the athletic director and the head men's basketball coach and he's he's just a legend i mean he was on the cutting edge of recruiting and you know, probably still is but he's uh, was really a recruiting genius and really developed a, an unbelievable uh, basketball program here but it also rubbed off on all the sports and and um you know being a small school recruiting has always been the lifeblood of our athletic department and a, a huge piece of enrollment here at the college as well
0: recently you spoke at a a major convention uh, the national collegiate recruiting conference which is uh, the dan tudor collegiate strategies company who who uh, basically works as a conduit for recruiting strategies and keeps everybody up to date on what the what the latest and greatest things are in, in that field so talk about that experience talk about speaking at that conference which was just last week
1: yeah tudor collegiate Strategies, is a great organization uh, Dan has been doing this for a long time, and he's really kind of the—he's uh, the guru. He's the, the kind of, sort of the probably most well-respected voice nationally in this area. And uh, we've been working here with Tudor Collegiate Strategies, you know, off and on probably for the last 12 or 15 years. Uh, right now, we're we're a client of theirs. They work with us on our messaging. They work with us on our, our recruiting strategies, just on you know becoming better recruiters. This, I think, is the third time I've been to the the national conference. I spoke back in in 2018 and was fortunate enough to to speak again this year about recruiting visits. So it's just an amazing atmosphere. You've got coaches from all over the country, uh, all different sports, all different levels, division one, two, three, junior colleges. And then the whole thing is in just an unbelievable setting for athletics. Uh, You know, when you're at UNC Chapel Hill with all the history there, uh, you know, you could take a 15-minute drive over to Duke University. It's just, it's quite an experience, uh, you know, just just being in that landscape.
0: Yeah, totally different world, and, and the, you know, the the money and everything else that's involved in that level of college athletics is, just blows you away.
1: You know, it's 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 an interesting thing because there there are as many different styles of recruiting and ways that people recruit, you know, as there are coaches. But I think there are a lot of things in common. Uh, that we can share and learn from each other, and and that's you know what it's really about. If you want to have a consistent program over a long period of time, you really got to evolve as a recruiter because it's constantly changing.
0: Now, talk about uh, your presentation. The topic was visit day is game day, and I know that you're you know notorious for putting out the red carpet for recruits here at St. Joe's, and and you know I'm sure that kind of bleeds into what you presented at the at the conference.
1: Yeah, I think the you know one of the basic messages uh, is you know encapsulated there in the title. Oftentimes you'll get you know that one chance in life at a at a first impression when you bring that recruit to campus. Certainly, you've developed a relationship before that point, but you know that that visit day is really you know make or break day. It's uh, you know championship day. If you're successful and the kid has a great visit, then you've got a good opportunity to. to that recruit uh, committed and have them involved in your program. If the visit doesn't go well, uh, and you don't you don't stack up well with with uh, other schools that that the student athletes looking at, then then you have no shot. You know I think sometimes coaches tend to put a lot of time into the scouting portion of recruiting, a lot of time into the messaging part of it, and then sometimes just sort of you know wing the visit. Um, And you really can't do that. You've got to make sure everything goes well and and, uh, there's a great vibe coming out of the visit and you get some type of commitment from that recruit by the end of the visit.
0: And it's an interesting dynamic. It's not like obviously selling a car where you're trying to sell one individual. Uh, Typically recruits will come to campus with their their family, their parents, perhaps siblings, and, and you're trying to sell them on the college, on your program, the experience here, the academic experience. And, you know, obviously, honesty and being genuine with those recruits and their parents is a huge part of it.
1: Yeah, it's an interesting process because it is sales. I mean, it it really is sales. But to me, it's sales in a good way because you're really guiding that recruit and that family through the process and helping them to make the right decision. If you really believe in the place that you coach... Hey, I you know I went to school here. I've coached here for thirty years. If I don't believe in this place, you know nobody does. If you don't really believe in in the product, then you're going to have a hard time selling it. But if you do, you know you're really doing an awesome service to that family by helping them through a process that they're often, you know, very naive about and you know don't really understand. And you know I, the way I look at it, the young man that comes to play baseball here oftentimes they're you know they're making maybe the biggest decision of their life on their own you know the the way things are today in our society you know parents make a lot of decisions for their kids and this is just a huge decision and you're providing that type of guidance that type of roadmap you know I I made the analogy in my talk about you know being a main guide and if you think about it uh, that's really kind of the role of a recruiter. You sort of, you know, you know, you know where the game is, you know what the game is, but you're there to guide that that family uh, and that young man, in my case, uh, through the process. So
0: now let, let's let's get back to uh, you know the pioneers at St. Joe's. Now you mentioned Jim Grafham, Rick Simons, and of course, uh, you know Mike McDevitt, who's still is still here. Uh, what are some of the things? some of the aspects of recruiting that, that you learned from them.
1: Sure, w- w- with Coach Grapham, I think uh, the biggest thing is that, uh, you know, the harder you work, the luckier you get. And that was really Coach in a, in a nutshell uh, with everything he did. And so he worked really hard at his recruiting and, uh, you know, it, it wasn't luck. We put great teams on the field, we moved the program forward in a really short period of time and he did it, you know, kind of through his sheer work ethic, and then he was really good at connecting with young men and building relationships and and developing a team. And then, you know, from Coach Simons, uh, you know, I, I obviously didn't play for him, but just to see that program from a distance and how no player was too good for him to go recruit, um, and he was willing to go after guys that other schools might have thought, well, geez, you know, how is that guy going to come to small little. St. Joseph's College in Maine, and he would land the kid because he was really good at I think the art the art of recruiting, um, and the art of sales, if you will, but also you know just again how to how to guide people through the process, and he, he really had a lot of passion for it too, and I could I could see that um, you know from watching his program, uh, both when I was here as a student and then uh, being a young coach. He was my athletic director and, uh, you know, just to see the way he went about his business. So, uh, of course, Mike McDevitt, still here, but kind of the, you know, the consummate professional. Michael has a plan to his recruiting. He has his own system. He follows it to a T and he's he's really, really good at it. And then, you know, we have a tremendous culture of recruiting in the athletic department. So I learn from all of our coaches constantly, um, you know, I'm fortunate to, To go to work every day with a bunch of people that are really passionate about their programs, but also really passionate about recruiting and learning how to do it and trying new things. So we're always feeding off each other, and just uh, it's it's a neat atmosphere that way because I don't think that happens, you know, at at every school.
0: Now talk about the you know that that environment is certainly uh, unique. Uh, But the connection between your coaching philosophy and the recruiting philosophy, because those two things play hand in hand. And, you know, it may even, you know, certainly affect the the type of players that you recruit.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I talked about this a little bit at the convention, because I think it's always important to remember, you know, the why, why you do what you do. And that really changes and evolves as you become a veteran coach. Uh, You know, I think when you start out and you're young, uh, I wouldn't say it's all about winning. But I would say, you know, winning and success on the field and, you know, winning championships and all that is a big driving force. You know, coaches are competitive people. That's a good thing. There's nothing wrong with that. But I think as you get older, you really realize hey, this is about creating the best learning environment I can for the young men that play for me uh, and about really helping them to develop on and off the field. Well, you know, what does that have to do with recruiting? Well, if you if you're not successful, guys and gals aren't going to they're not going to follow you. They're not going to believe in what you're doing. You're not going to have as great a success at reaching them and developing them if you have a program that doesn't win successfully. But if you have a, a good strong program that is in the hunt every year, that's successful over a long period of time, uh, you know, I think the players buy in a little bit better. And I think you can teach those lessons. So You know, you can't have a great program without being a great recruiter, and you can't be a great recruiter without hosting great campus visits because if visit day isn't clicking, uh, you're not going to land those top recruits that are going to propel your program forward.
0: You mentioned earlier that recruiting is, you know, there's a a big process to it. You're not only going to games, watching athletes, you know, putting that information, their contact info into a system and contacting them and all that. Certainly recruiting looks like or definitely is a passion of yours. And Why, why do you think that is? Why, did, why does recruiting for you personally fall into one of your favorite things to do?
1: Because I think it is, is, it's the biggest thing that makes you successful. It's the most important component to me of being a successful coach. You, know, you can be a great X's and O's coach, but if you don't have the horses, you're not going to win. Uh, You can be a great fundraiser and do all kinds of cool things for your program, but if you're not a good recruiter, you're not going to win. I mean, it's how good you are at the recruiting game, there's a direct correlation between that and your success. So, you know, when I began, I was scared of recruiting. I remember sitting at home at night, uh, you know, and I was struggling to pick up the phone because I didn't know what I was going to say, how I was going to handle it, I had no strategy. I was just going in blind, but I knew if I was going to be successful that I better figure it out. So, you know, much of what I learned early in my career certainly is, you know, from watching those pioneers in recruiting at St. Joseph's, but also just, you know, trial and error. Hopefully, if you do something long enough, you're thoughtful and you're intentional about it, uh, you start to figure it out. So it's, to me, it's a big part of being being a great coach. It's the quickest way to separate yourself. It's the quickest way to build a good program. That's the only way in my mind to sustain a good program.
0: Well, one of the issues of recruiting, and I think why coaches are are sometimes you know wary of it is is how often you hear "no." Mm. you know no, <laughs> I'm not coming to your school. Yeah. Uh, you know you'll hear you know nine nos before you get a yes," yeah. And how do you deal with that kind of rejection, and it, uh, that's one thing that keeps people from succeeding in sales.
1: Uh, Maybe I had a lot of that in my early uh, life, in my early dating game. I don't know. Uh, (laughs) But, uh, no, I think, you know, one of the things you have to keep in mind is if you're not getting no's, then you're not shooting high enough because those are the kids that are going to change your program. And if you you only shoot for the kids that are easy to get, well, chances are nobody else is recruiting them, and that's for a very good reason because maybe they can't play. Rejection just has to be part of it. And one of the things I talked about at, at the conference is just the the ability and the importance of building a deep list. Because if you don't have that deep recruiting list and you don't do the scouting and have enough kids on your list, so if, okay, if I need a catcher and the first guy I'm talking to tells me no and the second guy tells me no and I don't have anybody else on the list, now I'm going to try to fit that square peg in a round hole. I'm going to try to you know, try to bring that kid to St. Joseph's when I know in the first place that he's not gonna come. You've got to be able to have a deep list and be able to kind of weed that list is my analogy. You know, if you have a garden, you've got to weed it. So you've got to you got to really build that good strong foundation with a deep list and understand that, okay, I'm gonna get a lot of no's, but I need to find that kid that fits with St. Joseph's, fits with my philosophy. It's got to be the right major. His parents have to be able to afford it. Uh, he's got to see the value of having a small school, of being at a school where he's going to get a personalized education, a very intimate education. He's got to click with your team. Uh, there's so many factors that have to fit into it. So you just you just have to accept that it's part of the process. And if you're not getting those, you're not shooting high enough.
0: So other than baseball talent, what are the what are some of the things you look for in like your ideal student athlete? Uh, recruit coming to visit campus what are some of the attributes
1: yeah i think there's i think there's three things uh, and first of all yeah baseball talent's going to be the first thing that you that you see when you when you go to scout and we're looking for the same things that they're looking for from the major leagues on down right the in baseball it's the famous you know five tool player you can hit you can hit for power you can run you can throw you can field. different variations from well, I can tell you, first of all, at the Division Three level, you know we're not getting a lot of five-tool guys. Even even a Division Three five-tool guy, if you follow me, but maybe we're getting a guy that has two pretty good tools. You know, maybe he can hit, and maybe he can run pretty well, but he needs to work on his defense. Okay, we can work on that because he's got he's got two of the three. So you know, first off, you're looking at baseball talent, but This is the neat thing about the recruiting process, that through this process, you're going to find out about this young man's character. You're going to find out about his family. You're going to find out if he's going to be a fit for what you're doing. Is this kid, is he respectful? Is he responsible? Is he bright? Is he easy to coach? Is he going to develop? Does he have a work ethic? So all those character components are huge. And if you don't see those, you better have that deep list and drop that kid in a hurry. And then the second part of it is academics. And for me, you know, obviously a young man has to be good enough to get into the school, but they also have to be a good enough student to draw a decent merit award because we don't have athletic scholarship money, so we've got to take care of that. We've got to take advantage of that academic scholarship money. But then you want that bright kid because those are the kids that are going to develop. So for me, the transcript is not just a tool to can the young man get in? What's his merit award going to be? Now, for me, it's a baseball evaluation tool. Because if I can bring in a good student, hey, that guy's going to be easy to coach. and He's going to develop. and He's probably going to be a good teammate. And he's probably, uh, you know, pretty driven uh, and pretty committed to what he's doing.
0: And also, they'll probably pick up the signs and uh, pretty quickly. And they'll
1: probably know the signs by their senior year. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so... Talk about how recruiting has changed. I mean, that's a broad topic. But uh, I know in the last 10, 15 years, it's really changed a lot. Uh, I'll let you answer the question because it, it's, it is a broad topic.
1: And it's, and it's constantly changing. To go all the way back to when I started. Think about that. There was no email. There was no cell phone. There was no texting. Okay? So need I say any more? It was printed letters. Uh, it was Excel spreadsheets mail merges, uh, it was picking up the phone, you know, cold and trying to call kids and get them to pick up the phone, you know, but the basics there were, uh, haven't changed, it's still about building relationships, you know, it's not, the mechanics of it are really important and the mechanics of sales are really important and how you communicate is really important but the fundamental of it is developing relationships so that that part hasn't changed, you know. I mean, most recently, uh, Dan Tudor gave a nice talk at the National Recruiting Conference uh, about the transfer portal. That has really changed uh, recruiting and rosters and roster development at Division One, Two, II, and Three.
0: For those that don't know, can you kind of give that a little bit of a background? What that means? What that sure. is?
1: Sure. The transfer portal is a place that uh, a Division One or Two student athlete, in particular, Division Three kids can can use it but they can go in, put their name, put their information and list out there to the whole world that they are looking to transfer from whatever school they're at. And it's kind of become the wild west. Kids will go on there if they're not happy with their coach or some aspect of their playing time or you know whatever's going on with their team or what have you. They will go on, put their names on the transfer portal and coaches all over the country are watching that on a daily basis and these kids get recruited all over again. And because some of the some of the rules about eligibility and so forth have changed, it's just so much easier to transfer nowadays. And the NCAA put this transfer portal in place. So it just has made that process much more free and easy for the athlete. But it also presents a lot of challenges because gone are the days, particularly at the higher levels, where you know the kid's gonna stay at the school. Know the kid's going to stay at the school for four years. Uh, they're just open to move around. Hey, it, it makes sense. It's a free country, uh, but it's changed the, the landscape a little bit. Another thing that has changed, you know, that I, again uh, uh, was addressed at the convention, is just money and the way we talk about money is so important now. As the cost of education has gone up. We have you know, an economy that's struggling a little bit. You know, whether you define it as a recession or what have you. Price, uh, prices going up and inflation. Parents and families and students are, are thinking very carefully about the debt that they take on and and how we deal with that. How we talk about money, you know, how their aid package uh, looks, how it develops, how it's communicated has just become uh, so important as well. So it, it's a constantly changing uh, thing. I, I I did have a coach say to me the other day that uh, you know we already know all that. If you think you're done learning about recruiting, you're destined to fall behind and not be successful. It's a constantly evolving uh,
0: thing. Other things about recruiting that I know have changed uh, is kids don't slip through the cracks anymore. Uh, You probably don't today get a Jesse LaCase or a Steve Osborne or, or someone like that. You still get very good players who develop while they're here, but, you know everyone is recruiting now everyone is using athletics as a way to to bolster their enrollment and also your roster has changed a lot over the years just looking at where kids are from yeah so kind of talk about those two things a little bit sure
1: yeah as far as you know the roster changing over the years when i you know when i started out we would have probably 75 or 80% of our of our roster would be main kids Well, as the school has changed, quite frankly, uh, we've become a little bit more uh, expensive. And, uh, you know, we've needed to attract uh, student-athletes from out of state. Fortunately, our reputation in baseball has been good. So, you know, I think, you know, when I started, it might have been harder to attract kids from out of state. Now I think that's easier because of the reputation we've built. But it it also deals with finances. It also deals with with, – you know, travel ball, this whole uh, phenomenon of travel ball where, you know, I'll have to go to Massachusetts or Connecticut to see Maine kids play because they don't play any games in Maine. They're going with their travel team and they're going to Georgia and they're going to Florida. So the expectation is that if you go away to play, that's better. That's more awesome uh, than this program that's maybe right down the road in the state of Maine. So, you know, that's, that's, Changed big time. Um, you know, one of the things, uh, the competitive nature of it, when I started, I was part-time. Uh, like most of our coaches, I think we had two or three coaches in the athletic department that were full-time when I, when I first came on. Uh, you know, and I was part-time getting paid five grand for fall baseball, spring baseball, that's what it was. Uh, and so were most of the other baseball coaches at Division three schools in New England. Now that's changed. Almost all of our coaches here at Saint Joseph's are full time, but also, as you said, you know, over the over the New England region, everybody's figured out that okay, athletics is a key to enrollment. We better hire full time coaches who are going to attract student athletes to fill our dorms. So you know, as a result, everybody's full time. Everybody's out there hustling. Uh, if you're in athletics, you're competitive. Um, so that's really you know uh, just. You're right, nobody slips through the cracks. And then the other piece is the rise of Division II schools in New England has been huge. Uh, back when I began, some of the Division IIs weren't as good as the Division Threes. Well, there's been a whole rise of the North, Northeast 10 and Division II schools in New England and, and the Northeast. And, uh, you know, they suck up a lot of kids that used, it used to be if the Division Ones missed them. You know like if Coach Winkin was at UMaine or no, and he missed a kid or he didn't think a kid was good enough, then uh, you know a Division three school was going to have the opportunity to grab them. Now some of the Division twos uh, in the Northeast are actually taking guys away from the D one schools because their programs are so good and so competitive. So you know the market has just been saturated that way. So what you got to try to do is just build the deepest team you can throughout then make sure you hit on kids that are going to develop because having that impact kid that's going to come in, you know, right away, uh, be a Steve Osborne or Jesse LaCase or a Brent Dan or what have you, you can still develop those guys. But uh, if they're that good coming out of high school, coming out of travel ball, uh, you may not have a chance to get them as a division three coach.
0: I was talking with our men's lacrosse coach, Bill Cosentino, Uh, The other day, and he mentioned that one of our conference rivals in New Hampshire seems to be getting a lot of our main kids. But in the same token, we're getting a lot of the New Hampshire kids that are in that school's area, uh, because it's that that two-hour driving window. You know, you can still go home and get a home-cooked meal and get your laundry done, but you're not right down the road. So that's an interesting development to see. Have you seen things like that yourself with your program?
1: Yeah, definitely, and. There is a lot to this travel ball psyche in any sport and how this has impacted things. There are still kids that want to go to school close to home. There are still kids that go away to school and then figure out they should have stayed closer to home. Uh, but more and more, you know kids want to go away. It might not be a plane ride away, but it's seen as a you know kind of as a bigger deal to go away. so. A lot of factors to it, but, yeah, I've, I've seen, seen that as well.
0: We've kind of talked around this a little bit so far, but you mentioned the tradition of your program and, and you know, all the work and everything you've put into it to make, make it successful. Uh, what about a team that doesn't have that success and a team that's maybe a new program or a program that's traditionally struggled? You have a new coach that comes in. You know, how do you build a team from the ground up in this landscape,
1: that's so interesting because uh, um, at the National Collegiate Recruiting Conference, I find myself as one of the, uh, let's say, more experienced people in the room. In other words, one of the older people in the room, talking to a lot of young coaches who are trying to do just what you're talking about, um, and I think you know, the, I think the fundamentals of it haven't changed. You've got to work harder. You've got to work a little bit smarter than your competitors. You've got to be willing to learn and listen and you know, drink up what you see from others. You've got to have a clear vision of what you want to do with your program. You've got to be willing to, to get a lot of no's, but you just got to be willing to grind and believe in what you're doing and develop your program. But then there is kind of a the secret sauce of it. That's really what we tried to do here. I think with, with building our recruiting culture in the athletic department, and through you know using a consultant like Dan Tudor, but also you know just going to conventions, learning from others. Is just this idea of okay, what in the process can I do to separate myself and make myself unique, and make my program unique? And that was a big uh, piece of my. Talk about campus visits. Is that you, you? know, your campus visit needs to be unique. It cannot be like it is at every other school that the student uh, athlete visits, because then it becomes, then it becomes transactional. Then it becomes about the money, or the facilities, or the location, or some of these things that we can't control. Um, you know, we've got to be able to tap into emotion a little bit right that's part of recruiting Uh, but it's also a part of what makes athletes successful Um, and that's why they buy in and that's why they're willing to you know be great teammates and and be part of a of a team and a program so it's you know while I think there are some secrets to it I think there's a lot you know that young coaches can learn or people that are taking over new programs that aren't established can learn you know, I, I go back to what I learned from Coach Graff, and the harder you work, the luckier you get. And if you're willing to, you know, expend some elbow grease and commit to something, uh, you know, good things are going to happen.
0: That seems like a natural segue into what your presentation was about at the convention. But first I want to ask, I think a, a common misconception of college coaches is that when the, you know, the, the graduation bells ring in May and until school starts in September – that, you know, you guys are on vacation yeah. and, and just kind of talk about, I mean, certainly you do get vacation time, you use it and you have your beautiful camp up north and, and all those things, but you probably don't get up there as much as you'd like. Uh, but talk about a typical summer for you and kind of the recruiting calendar that really is extremely busy. You can't see everyone.
1: Yeah, that's one of the real challenges is you got to have that work-life balance, you know, and, and I've been so fortunate. You know, my son is our associate head coach here, uh, so I go to work with my son every day, so that's pretty cool. Uh, my wife's always been really involved in the program and, and committed to it, and, um, you know, the, the whole family is bought into it. What I would like you to do right now for, for baseball particularly uh, in the summertime, it's like a big horse race, okay? And, you know, the first thing we have to do is a ton of scouting in the summer. So from the time our season gets done right through August, there are so many games and showcase games and all-star games and all that uh, that you need to be at, travel ball tournaments, connect, seeing players, connecting with them, uh, networking with coaches, developing that deep list that you know, you're on the road a lot in the summer. And then because you're in this horse race, and what I mean by that is if you can kind of visualize the start of the Kentucky Derby, and, you know, all the coaches are lined up like the horses, and, okay, summertime hits, and it's recruiting season, uh, and, you know, once a player has committed to another school, well, now that player is off the board. So it's kind of a race to attract talent. So you, and you've got you've to be smart about that. You've got to make sure you've, you're getting the right guys and you're building the right foundation with your recruiting. You're not, you're not rushing into things. But there is a timeline here, so it's changed so much. When I first started, you know, for a recruiting class, May 1 was the big deadline. In other words, I'd, I'd be seeing games all summer long, not really start recruiting until the fall, recruit through the whole, you know, fall through the winter, and then hope that a kid would deposit around May 1st. Now that's long gone. So now we'll have about half of our recruiting class committed by August, uh, excuse me, by September 1st. So before they've even applied to the school, we'll have about half our class in place by September 1, and then we'll have the other half of the class in place by usually about December 15th. Christmas time. And then it starts in for the next year. So it's really moved up and it and it continues to move up.
0: Why do you think that timetable has moved so much? And it seemed to happen not gradually. It it happened pretty you know, pretty quickly in a matter of just a few years, maybe in that, you know, two thousand ten area where that was something that was kinda kinda new. Yep.
1: I think it coincides with um, with you know, so many schools adding full-time coaches, and so it got more and more competitive, so it got earlier and earlier. That just makes sense. It also uh, happened with some of the things that changed around admissions and financial aid. You know, one of the things that happens now is all schools are by law, basically, they have to have something called the net price calculator on their website where a student can go in and, uh, you know, the parents can sit there with their with their taxes for half an hour, punch in the numbers and get an estimate back. So people began to be able to determine the cost earlier. Uh, division one and two began to put more pressure on uh, by getting their guys to commit earlier. That just kind of trickled down to division three, and now COVID has added a lot to it because rosters are so tight. Uh, because uh, particularly at the higher levels and particularly at the state schools student-athletes are coming back to play their fifth year, their sixth year, because their season got canceled uh, with COVID and the NCAA's given them, uh, you know, another year of eligibility. So the roster is getting tighter and tighter. So it's more competitive for the student-athlete to find a roster spot. So again, it all happens earlier and earlier. Um, So, you know, a lot of factors to it. So you know, we've really had to change the way we recruit. I mean, you know, 15 or 20 years ago, I never even would have thought about asking a kid to commit to coming here in, in August, uh, going into his senior year. I, I didn't even know what that was. Well, what's that mean, ask a kid to commit? I'm not a Division One coach. I don't have scholarship money. Well, it's, it's all changed now. So, you know, one of the things that forces you to do is you've got to use that transcript... To make sure that that young man can get into your school, so then that you, if you feel he's a strong enough player, you can offer him a raw spot and ask him to commit. But this is the process that everybody's using now. So
0: now let's let's get back into uh, the topic of your presentation at the convention. Uh, your fundamentals of a successful campus visit. Uh, kind of run through your your bullet points kind of quickly here and talk about, uh, you know, the the. Uh, the format and, and message of your presentation.
1: Sure. Well, again, you know, remember we're, we're trying to connect um, being able to develop young people to having a successful program, to being a good recruiter, to having really good campus visits. So really, f- you know, for me, I thought about it, and I thought, okay, there are really kind of eight pillars of this. There are eight fundamentals of it. Uh, the first one is building the foundation for the visit. The second one is building the visit agenda itself. The third one is making sure you create a unique experience so that you have the ability to stand out. Uh, The fourth one is this idea that team matters, that the the players you have currently on your team, you gotta connect them to the young men or women you're recruiting, that's very important. Uh, Connecting with the parents uh, is another key foundation of this. And then when you finally sit down with the family, kind of sort of usually happens towards the end of, of the official visit, uh, how do you approach that? and How do you stand out and be a little unique there? And then how do you make sure you get a commitment uh, that day that they visit? We like to do that. And then, uh, you know, even if they do commit the day that, they're, that they come for their official visit, Uh, The the eighth pillar is, hey, you got to continue recruiting them because there's no letter of intent at our level. Um, It's a verbal commitment. It's a handshake. It's somebody's word, and they can always change their mind. So, you know, you have to look at it as, okay, once they commit, it's almost like now the recruiting begins uh, again, and now you need to really do a good job shepherding them through the process Not even be accepted to the school yet. They may not even have their aid package, and you've got months and months to go before they actually come to your campus in the fall.
0: Now, I think one of the things on that list that that some coaches have trouble with is you know getting a commitment that day, and and asking you know, hey, this is August 10th. You're here on campus for the first time. We've built this relationship and the foundation. Things seem to be going well. We want you to come here. You're the ideal candidate. We'd like you to commit. And how how do you get to that point? And and you know I'm sure there's some trepidation on the behalf of the of the student and their parents.
1: Yeah. Well, I think it's it goes back to you know you're, you're building the foundation for this right from the beginning. So you're you're really developing that relationship on a personal level early on, so that they're going to be comfortable finally come for the visit and saying, okay, uh, I'd like to play for you, coach. I'd like to spend the next you know, four years of my life at, at your institution. So you, you've got to lay the foundation, but then it's become such a part of the process that when a student visits, if, you're not, if you don't ask them to commit at some point, they're going to begin to wonder if you want them or not. So it's just become so important to be able to ask for that. Now, how you do it is the key. You got to make sure you've built the foundation, you've developed a relationship, you've developed a relationship with the parents, you've set up a, you know a great visit, you've connected them with your student athletes, you know, that they're 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 qualified to, to be accepted to your school, they're gonna get a good aid package, all that. And then, you know, we have a pretty specific way that when we sit down with them that we we approach that so that they can really process it and kind of think their way through the process and and come to a decision. But uh, this is one thing that, you know, some coaches struggle with is, you know, they feel, they feel funny asking for that. If you believe in what you're selling and you believe that you're doing a service to the student athlete because coming to your school is going to change their lives and they're going to have a great experience and they're going to get a great education, then... Shouldn't have any problem asking them to, to, come with you as long as you've, you know, you've laid that solid foundation all along the way.
0: So what you're saying is you've kind of laid the groundwork for that question to be asked on their visit. It's not something that kind of comes out of left field, at that moment.
1: No, you're not going to do that on the first call. You know, when you first seen a kid, and you have the first text or the first call or the first contact. Uh, you know, you've really, you know, you've, you've built your way in that direction. Uh, answered all the questions, you know, one of the biggest things that has become part of our philosophy is really trying to learn what are the objections, what are the reasons why they might not want to attend my school, and then really taking those on. So as an example, if this particular student athlete really wants to go to an urban setting doesn't want to be out in the country, doesn't want to be in a rural setting like St. Joseph's, and you, you hear that early on as you as you begin to develop the relationship, well, you've got two choices. One is you can weed out that recruit and drop them because St. Joseph's isn't in the middle of a city. Or two, you can help them see that this is the best of both worlds. Hey, we're on beautiful Sebago Lake. It's an unbelievable setting. You're five minutes from downtown Wyndham, which has got probably almost everything you want, and you're 20 minutes from Portland, Maine's largest city, one of the best restaurant cities in the country, just an amazing place. And so the visit could involve, you know, them staying in Portland, you meeting them in Portland, showing them around Portland, whatever it might be. Uh, You know, you really got to figure out very intentionally what could hold them back and then, you know, take those things on.
0: Now you said several times, and, and certainly part of your, your your whole philosophy is creating a unique experience. Now, how do you go about doing that? What are some examples of a unique experience that you can offer on a campus visit?
1: Yeah, yeah I think that's so important, and our, our coaches here at the college have really done a great job with that. We've all kind of fed off each other. So, you know, we have a bunch of things that we do that separate us. One is that when every recruit comes to campus, they'll have a, a lanyard, that is branded with their name on it. Uh, the St. Joseph's logo strap itself on the layard has St. Joseph's College monks on it. So that makes them feel special right from the get go. They, they're walking around campus with that around their neck. People are coming up and saying hello. It's a welcoming atmosphere. So, you know, a little thing like that goes a long way. Uh, welcome signs. We started with a, a welcome sign that was a Metal stand that you put a, a piece of you know eight and a half by eleven piece of paper in that has the logo and the student athlete's name on it and you know welcome Johnny Smith, uh, St. Joseph's baseball. Now we have those on wonderful welcome signs on televisions located all around our Alphonse Center, our athletic building. So when they come in, they see their name plastered up there uh, in front of everybody on the on the televisions. That's that's pretty cool. Um, you know, little things like in the summertime, uh, a lot of times when, you know, kids go to visit college campuses and families go to visit, if they go around and see the dorm rooms, the dorm rooms will be just empty because there's no students there. So we actually stage a couple of rooms. Our coaches get together and, and we decorate the rooms. We make the beds. Um, those are some of the nicest dorm rooms on campus that we utilize uh, over in our suites, so, you know, that's a nice little touch. Um, we have this cool little golf cart-like thing. We call it the gem car. It's an electric car. And we use that to take recruits around campus and particularly to take them down to our, our beachfront on the lake. Probably about a two or 300-yard walk from the top of campus up near the Alphonse Center down to our lake. And it's a fairly decent grade, you know, slope, nice walk down the lake. We have a beautiful path. It's an awesome walk. But if you go to turn around and walk back up the hill on a warm day, you wish you were riding in a golf cart. So anyway, we ferry people around in this, we call it the Gem Car. And it just makes them feel special that they are, you know, getting driven around campus. Everybody's looking at them. Who's that? Who's that famous person riding around with Coach Sanborn in the gem car? Uh, and it's just, it's about hospitality, you know, it it's about, you know, good customer service, it's about making them feel special, it's about that feel that they get, that they're going to be welcomed here, and that the campus is going to embrace them, um, and so, you know, those are just a few of the things we do to, to try to separate ourselves.
0: Yeah, a lot of those things you don't see everywhere, and, and- You know, everyone seems to embrace that. When I see the gem car driving around campus, I just assume that someone is out with a recruit. And, you know, certainly that's bled into what everybody sees on campus, uh, students and faculty and such. I want to kind of wrap this up a little bit by going back to uh, the relationship with Dan Tudor and how that began and how you, uh, you know, kind of like-minded it seems like a perfect fit for you to be involved in our department to be involved with his his company.
1: Yeah, it goes back it was years and years ago when we first learned about him and invited him to campus and um you know, he has so many avenues now, podcasts, blogs that he writes, articles that he writes, uh and it's just it's kind of like recruiting and it? it's that sort of constant drip of information. Uh, Not to steal a phrase from our former AD, but keeps it at the top of your brain. You know, keeps it at the top of your brain. So you're always thinking about your recruiting. You're thinking about what, what is changing, how you can adapt, and just I think it's it's an aspect of coaching that he and his team they have a particular expertise in, and uh, it's just like you might uh, gravitate towards somebody's pitching philosophy might be some pitching guru you might sort of build your philosophy off from or, or a hitting guru or or whatever it might be. Uh, you know, this happens to just be recruiting. You know, it's, it's all about learning. So hopefully that's what you want from your student-athletes. So if you as a coach aren't willing to continue to learn and grow and develop, then how are you going to expect your student-athletes to, to do that? So to me it's just a natural thing. It's all part of it, and I think if you're – you're going to be successful at the college level. Your recruiting has got to be very, you know, it's got to be very intentional. And, you know, most college coaches, they're going to recruit sort of like they were recruited when they were an athlete. That's all they know. Or maybe they've had a chance to go and mentor and be a, be an, uh, an assistant under some very successful coach and see how he's done it. You know, with me, I was a I was a 28-year-old head coach, the only place I'd ever been St. Joseph's, only place I ever wanted to go. Or coach was St. Joseph's, so you know I didn't have a chance to go and mentor under, you know, great Division One coaches or what have you. So it's it's been a really neat avenue for me just to to learn and grow and try to use it to improve our program.
0: Well, is there anything else, Coach, that that you want to cover here in our podcast today? We've 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 gone over a lot.
1: Yeah, the one thing maybe that's so important that we didn't touch on at all is the importance of your current players in, in that recruiting process. I mean, kids today want to know that they're going to be accepted, they're going to be comfortable, they're going to be welcomed, they're going to be able to get along with their teammates, they're going to be able to develop those friendships quickly. Um, so, and that's always been a key to my recruiting. It, you know, it, it seems like spend a lot of time listening to coach Sanborn when you come on the visit and it's actually my goal is to have them spend as much time with my players as possible so you know one of the things I've learned over the years is you you have to kind of train your team to do that you know so we go so far as to you know teach our guys how to meet people how to look them in the eye how to shake their hand properly uh, just you know how to how to make a good first impression how to make people feel Feel comfortable, but also how to be, you know, honest and sincere when they connect with, you know, a, a young man who might be one of their future teammates. So that's a big part of it. Um, and certainly, you know, as much credit goes to the, you know, credit sometimes goes to the coaching staff when you have good players or you win games or whatever. But uh, my guys are really, really involved in this in this whole process, and particularly with. Campus visits, so,
0: and that really starts with recruiting the right people to start with, the type of people that that you know that wouldn't be, yep. uh, you know, a foreign concept to welcome in somebody who might compete against them for playing time.
1: Right. Absolutely, we've got a great class coming in uh, this fall. I'm really excited about it. Uh, it's a big class, about 16 guys, so it's a it's a big group, um, all different positions, uh, guys from all over New England. We got a young man from Texas coming that we're very excited about, uh, but it's uh, you know it gets to this point in the summertime where you're sort of okay. I'm kind of sick of seeing other people play, other kids play, and other coaches coach. Uh, now I'm looking forward to you know, if you get close to August. Okay, fall baseball is not that far away, and what a what an exciting time for your program when you've got all your returners coming back. And you've got all this new blood coming in. It's a it's a really cool thing.
0: Yeah, fall baseball certainly is a special time, and it's such a, a, a nice time on campus with the weather and and you know everything's still green and all that. And and you know I do want to say that you you have t- traditionally graduated large classes as well. So yeah. you've been retaining players uh, to bring in sixteen. You graduated, I believe, twelve
1: yeah.
0: last year. So yeah. it sounds like a big class, but you kind of needed to replenish.
1: Yeah, we did, we did. So.
0: Okay, well, thank you, Coach, so much for your time. Uh, keep, keep going on recruiting. Good luck this season. And, uh, you know, thanks for sharing some of your trade secrets with us. Uh, hopefully we're not giving away too much for our opponents.
1: Thanks, Corey. Always happy to talk recruiting. Thank you.
0: All right, folks, that's been this episode of Monk's Take. Tune in next time. We're planning on doing quite a bit more podcasting this year going forward. Thanks again, folks. Have a great day.